0: signs shall follow them who believe there are signs that follow believers just like God was working with Jesus through signs following God confirming the anointing on Jesus through signs following I want to get you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 and What I want to show you here is is very important to new wine and new wineskins, and I'll get into some of that in the next few minutes. But there are always forerunners. Whenever God is doing something, there are forerunners. There are people that are the pioneers of what God is doing. So, you know, in, in terms of when I started doing missions work in the villages of Africa 50 years ago, I would go into villages where no missionary had ever been. Um, In fact, I was in villages where they had never had contact with white people. They were in rural, indigenous areas. I I remember vividly going into one village where the kids began to scream, they thought I was a ghost, they had never seen a white person. I went into villages where Coca-Cola was available, but they'd never heard the name of Jesus. I went into other villages where Singer sewing machines, mind you hand-wound ones, where they had Singer sewing machines, but they hadn't got the gospel. Coke got there before we did. Singer got there before we did. And when I went into the one village, one when I shared the gospel, he said, how long have you known this message? how long have you known this? I said, well, you know, I recently got saved and filled with the Spirit. And he said, why hasn't someone come here before? What about my my parents and their parents? Didn't they deserve to hear this message? And, and, and he was horrified that it took generations before we got to his village. And, and so uh, there are forerunners that, bring revelation for example when god began to move through my life in revival when i got to the united states of america now i had been in the ministry at that stage um, 20 years when i got to the u.s and um, and i went into places and god began to move in healing deliverance joy laughter people falling out under the power of God. And for some of those congregations, they had never seen that. In, in the one church, in, in, when the power of God hit, they didn't have modesty cloths to put on the ladies. They had to run to the nursery and grab blankets to put around the woman who had fallen in their dresses because they'd never had anyone fall under the power of God. Some people call it slain in the spirit. I much prefer to just say falling under the power of God. If you slain, where I come from, slain means you're slain. <laughs> so, um, but they had never seen it. You know, they'd never had holy laughter or the joy of the Lord or people being hit with the power of God. And in fact, there were experiences I had. One man walked up to me and said, are you a holy roller? I said no. I said, you know, I I I'm not a holy roller. I, I thought it was a derogatory term, and then a couple of weeks later, it was right in Cocoa Beach where Overland was launched. It was in Gary Montecalvo's church. Uh, one night, the power of God hit me, and I went rolling. And I'm I'm in the mall going to buy some clothes, and I bump into the man that said, you know, are you a holy roller? I said, hey, by the way, I am one. He said, you what? I said, I am a holy roller. <laughs> I became a pioneer in holy rolling. I was in one church. It was an Assemblies of God church in Wisconsin. And um, the, the, the pastor was very hungry for revival. His wife was not. She was very actually mad at him which i only found out after the fact i wouldn't have gone into cause strife between a husband and a wife i wouldn't have gone to that it was in a city called mount horeb in wisconsin anyway so i'm in mount horeb and um this pastor's wife is furious sitting there just glaring at me as if i'm doing something And uh, he's excited, and so it happened that the kids were very God-hungry. I'm talking about little kids, like three, five, seven, eight, just all these little kids. So one meeting, all the kids were sitting up front. They were just so hungry for God. I said, I want all the children to come stand here. And I just prayed a prayer. I didn't lay hands on them. And this is exactly how it happened. They fell out under the power of God in one go. All of them fell. And they began to roll all in one direction. And they stopped and they started rolling back in the opposite direction. And they rolled back. No orchestration, no saying a word. And and I, I believe it was a sign for because their kids, the pastor's kids, were in that line. And that pastor's wife was such an old whiner that even with that sign, with her kids falling and rolling, she still did not want the move of God. Can you believe that someone could be so resistant that when your kids receive supernaturally nothing said, nothing instigating, saying, I'd never even, that happened way before I became a holy roller. But there's always someone up front who's leading the way. There's always someone who's pioneering. I've been in meetings where people come to me afterwards and say, I just wanted to stand and shout. I felt God touch me so powerfully, but I didn't want to draw attention to myself. And I want to take them and shake them and say, why didn't you do what God was giving you, you were so embarrassed because there's always got to be that first person that becomes the chain reaction or the domino effect of someone else getting it. There's got to be the first person that laughs, the first person that falls, the first person that dances, the first person that runs. Someone's got to be that lightning rod, that attractor of what God is doing. But we sometimes, because of our pride, because of our ego, our reputation, we quench the Spirit of God. We embarrass, we, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. There's always got to be a pioneer, someone breaking some region open, who goes in and plows the way, whether it be for salvation, or whether it be for the full gospel, whether it be for training, or whether it be for healing, someone's got to carry the power of God. I've got schools that have graduated in villages in Africa. I've got the photos of these places where they've never had a graduation, a graduate. And yet, there they are in their robes. And in Africa, they put flowers around them. They, they wrap them in rows of flowers. And... Um, the whole village comes because they've never had a graduation in, um, in a village. They've never had a graduate, a college graduate. So it's a huge village event. The chief is there, and they just all come, hundreds of people, for this graduation. Someone's got to pioneer education. Someone's got a pioneer um, uh, breakthrough for a region. We're talking about new wine. When there's new wine, someone's got to be a carrier of that new wine. In order to carry it, you've got to have a new wineskin mentality, which separates you from the old wine. The new wine separates you from the old wine. The new wineskin separates you from the old wineskins. You're different when God puts something on you. When God puts an anointing on you, when God gives you a word, you're different from those that haven't got that word. God positions people to carry change. I was thinking about uh, Ezekiel when the hand of the Lord came upon Ezekiel. In the, and He says, I want you to prophesy to the dry bones. And, and so Ezekiel was positioned in a nation to bring about a resurrection of an entire nation. Someone has to be the carrier of that new wine with a new wineskin heart to release something into the nation. God positions people to be carriers of that glory ezekiel is before the lord and he obviously had a hungry heart god's not going to give you something if you don't desire it god's not going to give something to someone who's disinterested because even as these young ladies said it's sacrifice demands everything you can't play games with god ezekiel is before god god gives him an anointing god gives him a message He, God says to him, can these bones live? He turns around and says, only you know God, you can do whatever you want. But God, yes, Leon's expanded unpublished translation. Ezekiel, for this nation to be resurrected, that is now in captivity, I need you to prophesy to these bones. Why, Why didn't God from heaven say, bones live? Because God uses people. You walk through a marsh to get to a man because God uses people. God uses hungry people. God uses humble people. God uses open people. God uses surrendered people. That's how God works. God does nothing on the earth without first revealing it to His servants, the prophets. Why? Because God needs someone to pray. God needs someone to prophesy. God needs someone to be His voice, to be His hands, to be His feet. That's the nature of new wine. God separates someone from the rest to carry the new. And I believe God is separating this church from the rest to bring a manifestation of God's glory into this community, which makes you different. And people don't always like different but i want to show you the effect of different did i ask you to turn to luke 10 okay i was just testing you see if you were listening you passed well done after these things the lord appointed 70 others also so he had the 12 who are pioneers and he test ran the 12. And then he wanted to see, will this work through some others as well? So he got 70 other disciples, people that were on the fringes. He had the 12. Within the 12, he had the three. And then he had the rest. And now he's got 70. And he appointed these and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. In other words, God chose people to be forerunners, to open the way, just like John the Baptist came and opened the way for Jesus. Now Jesus is using people to pioneer, to open the way. I believe that we are in a separation state where we are being separated for what God's about to do. He needs new wine skins. Who are filled with new wine to pioneer and open communities, churches, regions, nations. Someone's got to be available to bring about the change. I feel like I'm a carrier of the new wine with a new wineskin. Because there's a message in my heart, mobilizing the saints for the call of God in this hour I want to raise up a generation of world changers. Well, what do world changers do? They change the world. What does new wine do? It brings change. In order to bring change, you've got to have a new wineskin heart. These men have turned our world upside down. Who were they? They were carriers of the new wine. Is it always embraced? No. Do they face harassment? Yes. Do they face rejection? Yes. But then where they find an open heart, and open life, it brings the miracle intervention of God. The 70 are sent out and they come back in verse 17. 17. Then the 70 returned with joy. Saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. He gave them authority to use His name. He gave them power and He gave them authority. And He sent them two by two and they came back rejoicing, filled with joy. Why? Because they were doing something. They were seeing results. When you've got the power of God, there is going to be rejection, but there's also going to be fruit. And He said to them, This is significant. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Talking about what? Referencing the outcast of Lucifer. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, when you went doing what I gave you to do, it shook the heavenly realms. I saw change in the spiritual condition of these places that you went satan lost his grip on those places because you went and did what i gave you to do behold i give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall any meet by any means harm you nevertheless do not rejoice In this, that spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, in this, it's about having a right relationship with God. That is the most important thing, not just what you can do, but overflowing from the strength of your relationship because you write with God in heaven, you write with man on earth, and you can release what God gives you to do. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. They came back with joy, and Jesus said, Satan lost his grip, gave them balance, and then said, I'm so glad. Literally, what it says there is, he began to spin around and dance for joy. Jesus j-e-s-u-s jesus king of kings lord of lords shows emotional excitement because he saw the impact of carriers of the glory of god causing satan's grip on communities to be broken i believe that's what the new wine is meant to do in our era In our generation is that what we are getting is not just for ourselves (laughs) you got to catch this this isn't just for you this is for you through you for someone else one of the the characteristics of the new wine that is worth mentioning is that new wine means change. If you get the new wine, you've got to have a new wineskin attitude, a new wineskin heart, a new wineskin motive, a new wineskin commitment. You can't carry the new wine in the old way. That means you've got to change to carry change. You can't change a nation unless you are willing first to be changed. And I know you are. That's why you're here tonight. You want the breakthrough of God for your community. I know that's why you're here. But I'm stressing the importance that new wine makes a tremendous demand upon you. It's going to cause you to have to look at yourself. And make adjustments in your spirituality, in your walk with God. Because the more you get from God, which is new wine, the more is expected from you to the glory of God. To whom much is given, much is required. So we all want more. We all want to see God do something in and through our lives. But it does put a demand on us to be... Surrendered to carry that kind of responsibility. When God does something new, which is what we want, I don't know about you, I don't want business as usual. We keep doing the same thing in the same way, we get the same results. To see something different, we've got to do different, we've got to be different first. It's not just do, but it's be. So you've got to be different, to do different, then what will you get? Different results. So we've got to change, because we're carrying change. We've got to have that open attitude for what God wants to do. Of course, the greatest change is the new creation. Miracle, behold, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The oldest passed away. Behold, all things are new. So we know being born again brings about radical change. When you study the Word, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you read the Word, when you study the Word, when you hear the Word, when you receive the ingrafted Word, it's able to save or change your soul, your attitude. And so... We are living, and we should be living, in a constant process of change, being renewed and changed by the Word of God. I love Isaiah chapter 43, in verses 18 and 19, it says, Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, see I am doing a new thing. And everyone wants God to do a new thing, but we forget about the context of the doing the new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So where does the new, we, the new thing take place? In the wilderness and in the wasteland. Everyone wants God to do a new thing, but we forget about where the new thing starts. If ever there was a need for a new thing in a spiritual wilderness like the United States of America, it's right here. We need a new thing. And therefore, when we look at the surface of where we're located and the spiritual condition of the land, we are certainly candidates for God to do a new thing. do we ever get to a place where we become settled i love the apostle paul's attitude where he says brothers and sisters i do not consider myself as yet taken hold of it but one thing i do forgetting what is behind and straining to toward what is ahead i press on towards the goal to win the prize for which god has called me heavenward in christ jesus he was talking about change living in the place of constant change that we even though we can celebrate what God has done we don't stay there we have to move into the next thing that God is doing because the cloud moves and we have to move with the cloud one of the Bible accounts that I want to use today to speak about new wine and new wineskins is I want to use the analogy of Israel coming out of Egypt and the lessons that we can learn from their experience coming out. Now go with me to 1st Corinthians chapter 10 and we read verses 1 to 5 together, 1st Corinthians 10, 1 to 5, moreover brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, in other words, they were moving in the cloud, all passed through the sea, miracle breakthrough, open doors of deliverance and change. All ate the same spiritual food, they were being fed by Christ. And all drank the same spiritual rock, which is Jesus. But they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. What rock follows? Jesus. Yeah. But, the, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. In other words, even though they were in Christ as a shadow, they were baptized, they were living in the provision of God, they weren't rising to the call. In other words, they had new wine. they didn't have new wineskin attitude god was moving supernaturally in their midst but they weren't embracing it to the place where they would change to hold what god gave them the container of their lives was not worthy of the supernatural dealings that god had produced in them but here's the thing if you have a look at verse 11 Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition. In other words, what happened to them is a warning to say when God's doing something, you've got to move with what God is doing. You can't afford to have an old wineskin mentality when God's taking you out and taking you into something new. You've got to move with the cloud. You've got to stay in the spirit and receive what God's got for you. Don't go in with an attitude that you would bring displeasure to the heart of God, that you would count what He is doing as ordinary, common, without worth, without worship. These things are written for our warning, and I guess in this case, for our encouragement. Think about it. With Passover, they sprinkled the blood, they ate the Passover lamb, and they had to have their sandals on, their bag packed, the stick in their hand, the staff in their hand, because they were ready to move. They were to move out of the old, which was captivity, bondage, and abuse, into the new, which was the promised land. But to get to the promised land, they had to go through the wilderness, which was where Egypt's grip would be broken off their life so that they could handle what God had for them in the promised land. They couldn't get the promised land with Egypt's slave mentality. They had to have son mentality. They had to have giant slayer mentality. They had to be transformed in this process, which should have been days, but became 40 years. Now think about this, and I was watching uh, uh, an old movie of the uh, the Ten Commandments and they come out of Egypt, and you see the and it, it's some millions, I think there were six hundred thousand men and probably somewhere between a million and a half two million people that came out of captivity and you see the image of them walking out of Egypt coming up to the Red Sea and you see them carrying stretchers with old women and old men laying on it. Have you seen the movie? And they're dragging these stretchers and carrying old people and people are hobbling up. That's not Bible because the Bible says when they ate the Passover lamb, Jesus, there was not one feeble among them. They came out walking and leaping and praising God. They got a miracle touch. But they didn't have miracle change. Because by the time they got to the Red Sea, they were screaming in panic, ready to go back. Miracles don't guarantee maturity. Miracles don't guarantee spirituality. And You see that with the people that Jesus fed and the miracles that he wrought, the same ones were probably standing in the crowd saying, crucify him. They wanted what He could do for them, but they didn't want what He wanted to do through them. At the end of the day, only a handful were willing for Him to work through. In other words, miracles don't guarantee that we are going to be spiritually minded or able to carry what God's given us. So they have this great deliverance. They come out of Egypt, miraculous deliverance. God's feeding them, God's giving them drink, God's giving them protection and victory over Pharaoh and his armies. But despite the miracles, what are they doing? They are murmuring, complaining, criticizing, pointing fingers constantly at Moses to the point that God wants to kill him. Had it not been for Moses' intercession, they wouldn't have made it. God said, Listen, let me just raise up a whole new generation. So, in other words, they came out miraculously, but they've got old wine mentality. And old winers do what? Wine, murmur, complain. They don't give themselves entirely to what God's doing. They just want the benefits of what God can do. And how many know there are many benefits? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is with me. Let's not forget His many benefits. There are benefits. But there's also responsibilities. And for this new wine, there's got to be some people that want more than the miracle want more than what God can do for them but have the attitude what can God do through them will you be one of those tonight that will want more than the miracle but would have the willingness for God to work through because that's what's needed for me that's the new wine skin not just the new wine everyone wants the new wine but they don't want the new wine skin So, the new wine cannot be sustained in an old wineskin, and you lose both, and we've seen that in revivals. They go for the miracle, but they don't go for what the miracle is meant to do for them, which is to mobilize them and bring God's redemption into the nation. They just want the quick fix, they want the joy, they want the pleasure, they want the touch, but they don't want the responsibility and the obligation everyone wants the new thing until they get it everyone wants the miracle but they don't want the responsibility that goes with it and the israelites were classic they not only complained they grumbled they murmured every anything that god did was never good enough they in fact They built the golden calf. And where was Moses? On the holy mountain, in the glory, getting the law of God. And he comes down, and what have they done? They're worshiping around an idol. Even though they were meant to be a separate people that would serve and honor God, they were so... Bound in an Egypt mentality. They wanted the gods of Egypt. Even though he had healed them and provided for them and fed them and given them drink. They had the miracles, the breakthroughs. But they didn't want the responsibility of being single-minded in their devotion to God. They wanted another way. That's the old wineskin mentality. When they got to the edge with the promised land in front of them spies were sent out 12 spine spies but they came back 10 of them bringing the evil report why because they were old wine they couldn't see what god had for them through them they felt like it was a setup they would die they would lose And what was the result of the old wineskin mentality? That every adult, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, died on the wrong side of their destiny. Missing what God had for them because they would not become the new wineskin. You can't get the full benefits of God's redemption of God's plan with an old wineskin that wants to be in Egypt, that wants to return to Egypt, even though they were abused and used and manipulated and controlled and poverty stricken. The old is good enough. That is the language of the old wineskin. The old is good enough. We need the new wineskin. To get the new wineskin attitude, you've got to be like Joshua and Caleb. What makes Joshua and Caleb different from the others, is they wholly followed the Lord. They were not partial in their commitment level. They were 100% followers of the Lord. They embraced all that God had for their lives. Yeah. We need to be like Joshua and Caleb. Now, I, I quickly had a look at some of the, 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 the hindrances to change, the challenge of change in our lives in the church. So this applies individually As well as corporately, why um, do people not want to change? I've got a few scriptures I want to read uh, before I do that. In Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 1, it says, He who is often rebuked and hardened his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. In other words, hardened hearts, stiff necked people can't embrace the change we have to be pliable flexible movable to get what God's got for us in Jeremiah chapter 7 it says yet and verse 24 yet they did not obey or incline the ear but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backwards not forward. In other words, there are people that will be offered what God is doing, but instead of going forward with God, they go backward. Why? Because they're not listening to God. They become spiritually deaf. I love the fact that God's ear is inclined to the righteous, but often the righteous, their ear is not inclined to God. They listen to other voices. They listen to the voice of of, naysayers, they listen to the voice of the world, they listen to the voice of the enemy, but they don't listen to the voice of God. What separates us from every religion is we have a personal relationship with God, which has communication. We speak to God, it's called prayer, and God speaks to us, because He says, my sheep will hear my voice and follow or obey, and yet they don't. Because they don't listen. They hear the sound, the audio, but they have turned down the voice of God. Another reason why people don't get the full benefits of the new wine, and I've quoted some of this, it says in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 18 and 19, do... Not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. In other words, don't meditate on the past. Don't consider the ways of the past. If you looking back at what God used to do, you may miss what God wants to do. Because you're so rooted in the past. Ships have to pull up the anchor to sail, to have a change of location. Many ships are anchored in the old. And because they are anchored in the old, they can't embrace the new. We have to pull up the anchor and be willing to set sail into deeper waters, into places we may not have been to get to the new. In Hebrews chapter 3, in verses 7 and 8, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the days of trial in the wilderness. Hardened hearts miss the new wine. Hardened hearts miss the new wine. In Acts chapter 7, in verse 51, it says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. So we have to have circumcised hearts. What's a circumcised heart? It's a sign of covenant. It's the sign of walking in covenant agreement with God's covenant conditions. For that to take place, you cannot be stiff-necked. You've got to be committed in your heart and in your ears. And that means you must not resist the Spirit, but you must, as Pastor Rick said this morning, submit. If you resist, you are living a rebellious life. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, I thought about that. Often people say to me, I had a word, but I didn't share it. Why? Because they're resisting the voice of the Holy Spirit. God told me to do this. I didn't do it. They are resisting the Holy Spirit. And the way it works is God starts with small things. And if you'll be faithful with the small, He'll give you more and more and more. But if you resist with the small, you will never know the great things. You've got to start with where you're at. But you cannot resist the Holy Spirit. You must, if anything, stir up the gift. Desire the gift. Press into that realm. Not be the opposite of it. Why do people not embrace the new wine? Number one, fear of the unknown. Change brings uncertainty. And with that comes potential risks and challenges. We like the same old same old. That's why when we go to a, r- a restaurant, we order the same thing. We went for lunch today, and I was smiling as Bobby ordered the same. He knew exactly what he wanted. You, everyone did it. Did you get the same? Anna, did you wear, Anna's out. Oh, there you are. Did you get the same? I just preached on it. And they were all ordering. Did you order something different? New wine wineskin, that's because we just ordained you. You're still in the flow of the new. <laughs> but we do. We love the familiar. We don't like the risk that this may not satisfy us. I just stepped into the deep end and ordered a great dish and it lived up to the expectation it really was a great dish, was something I've never had before and uh, in that restaurant and I've been to the picket fence, I've been there a number of times and this time I didn't go to the same old because I always just trust Pastor Rick, I say what do you order and I order the same thing because I know he goes there, why not order what's proven? but today I wanted to step into the wild side. and <laughs> But there's that, that unknown. But that's exciting too. You know, what's unknown is not always risk. It's the, the adrenaline rush, the adventure of entering into some new realm. Here's the big one. The loss of control. We lose the control. Change disrupts established routines and the way we do things, leading to a loss of control. We love to have the sense of being in control. But listen, what makes us different is we are led by the Spirit. And so, we may have self-control, as I've taught you once before, self-control is not to shut the Holy Spirit out. It's to shut sin out of your life. It's to shut compromise out of your life. Self-control is the surrender of yourself to God's control. That's what Jesus is Lord means. You're in control. Why do we not see Jesus in control? It's because people love to be in control. When you get into a plane and you have a pilot, and they close that door, you don't have control. Once that door is shut, you have no control. Am I right? How many of you feel like, whoa, when you fly, you sit there and you, you, you know, this is, I'm out of control. My wife hates it when she drives, and I sit next to her, because I'm constantly checking the mirrors, and I'm And I I get in trouble every time she picks me up at the airport, I say, you're in the wrong lane. Because I'm very methodical, I know what lane to be in, even if it's a mile away, I'm already changing lanes to be in the right lane, she's in the wrong lane. And I know I shouldn't speak out, but I do. I'm a prophet, I've got to call it out early. And I'll get the look. I want to be in control, that's the problem. I'm a control freak. She says, how many times have I wrecked the car? Never. She says, it's an amazing thing, I got here on my own without you. (laughs) I have no answer, because she'll then throw the next one. How many wrecks have you had? is right. But how many of you know what I'm talking about? We don't like to lose control. But when you go into new, you lose control. Number three, we get attached to the status quo. You know what the status quo is. The same old, same old, do the same thing, same results, same ways. We get attached to that. And to change, you got to break the familiar patterns and routines, you got to develop a new pattern and a new routine. I, I, one of the things I like to do is to change my study techniques. I will study a certain way for a certain period of time, then I'm going to switch, say I'm studying multiple verses, I will go to one verse and stay there for perhaps weeks. I will get a different translation and study a different translation. I will do an in-depth study versus a read-through. Because I know I've got to to, to get new, I've got to seek new ways. And even in my prayer life, I've got to try different ways of praying, different techniques of praying, because otherwise I become the product of the status quo we want change but that means we've got to step out into the unknown and try another way the status quo sometimes becomes our prison and i'm sure all of you can identify with this past negative experiences you go into a business venture and it fails i'm sure most of us have been there we We think we're hearing God. We try something and it blows up in our face. So when you get another offer for something that sounds good, you are very hesitant to even consider it. Um, Why? Because you have a negative experience where you tried something and it didn't work. And people do that with the Word. They do that with prayer. For example... Sometimes when I pray for the sick, I have to put aside, out of my mind, people that I've prayed for with that disease that I didn't see raised up. Because it's very hard to be in faith when you have an image of what I call a faith failure. And so, you have to move away from your faith failures, you have to move away from past experiences, to step into the new. And sometimes we get anchored in that thing that didn't work out the way we thought it would. You lose confidence. And faith and confidence work together. There's that that, that God confidence that takes you into the new. Hmm. This is mainly for Pastor Rick. He needs this next section. You got your little pen and going, this is really for you, but everyone will benefit from it. I want to talk about making a way for new wine and new wineskins. Number one, Pastor Rick, I'm just uh, focused on you, but everyone, all the leaders should get this, effective communication. To take people into the new, you've got to effectively communicate where you're going and how you're going to get there. Communication is the essence of life. In my leadership school, I have the four C's of communication. Let's just check my students here. What are the four C's of communication? Communication, communication, communication. The first is communicating the gospel. Second is communicating the teaching. Number three is communicating the vision. You say, what's the fourth C? Coffee. Coffee. You'll never communicate effectively without coffee, at least that first cup in the morning, preferably a second that follows and a third that follows. But, um, yeah, communication. You've got to communicate effectively because if people don't know where they're going, they won't know how to get there. When I came to the United States, it was a huge culture shock. Um, maybe you guys have been in Africa, you'll know this a little bit, but in, in South Africa or in Africa, you ask directions, they'll say, well, go along this road, and you'll come to that boabab tree and take a right, and you'll see a little shed on the left-hand side. Don't stop there, just keep going further over the hill, which will take you maybe another 20 minutes, and then you'll see a little fork in the road go to the right. Is that how they do it there? when you come here, they say, go on 95 East. And then when you see uh, Route 445, go North. And like it was a foreign language, a foreign driving language for me. And that was before MapQuest and before our smart devices. And and those days I had the book, you know, the big book with the maps and you try and drive. They talk about people being on their smart devices. You got to be in a map book trying to find a street and you can barely see the numbers on that little book. It's not like your phone, you can expand it and see the numbers. In that map book, you can't see the numbers. You need a magnifying glass. So you're driving and you're trying to see. And if your wife's a navigator, I just rested right there. It's a divorce in the making. It's like going to Ikea and buying a piece of furniture. And you look at the assembly instructions, which is a stick figure with a screwdriver or a hammer, and you assemble, and then you're left with this bag of extra nuts and bolts, and then suddenly you look at it and you say, whoops, this is the wrong way around. That's why it didn't quite fit. However, books are going to cover this. I am not undoing this. Anyone identify with that? I have three categories of assembly. Do it yourself. The first is divorce. The second is murder. And the third is imprisonment I hate do it yourself if God wanted me to do it myself he wouldn't have given me Google because I can find a specialist in that thing and call them in let them do it effective communication Pastor Rick number two pastor Rick education and training You've got to prepare people for what they're going to get. We want new wine. You've got to prepare the congregation. Train them for what they're going to do. Give them the skills. Give them the knowledge so that they can handle. That will boost their confidence into what you're going into. Number three, lead by example. We are influencers. We carry authority, but our authority is our influence to inspire people into where we're going and so we need to lead by example into the change number four break the change into manageable steps don't do what could take three years in three days you will lose half the people in the first day so you want to spread out the process of change into where we're going this is really an important one, which again I teach in spiritual leadership, which is celebrate your successes or celebrate your milestones. At any given stage in my ministry, we're tackling maybe six or seven projects in any given day or week or month. Could be a new book, a new course, a new outreach, a new school, um, various huge projects. and. My staff are very committed, my team are very committed, they're not high-maintenance. But with, whenever we reach a milestone, for example, say I'm writing a new book, when the first draft is finished, I'm going to contact all my staff involved with me and thank them for getting us that far. When we've completed the first edit, I'm going to thank them for getting us that far. Then I'm going to do the next one, and the next one, and the next one until we finish it, and we have a huge celebration. Why? Because it allows people to see we're going towards the, the result. And if you don't celebrate milestones, what happens is they lose the momentum. They lose the, the sense of, I'm making a difference. I've learned with projects to celebrate milestones, which may be as simple as a meal with my team, or buying them Walmart cards and sending them, thank you for getting us this far. Just acknowledging their involvement. I would say I buy them Starbucks cards, but some of them live in little towns where there are no Starbucks. So, And I refuse to give Dunkin' Donut cards. I mean, that's just like... Never going to happen because it's like so weak, so diluted coffee. I could never give someone weak coffee. So, um, But I do send them something. Uh, One of the projects, one of my leaders, I gave them a brand new iPad, new computer. I thank them. This is your effort. Your work has helped me reach these goals. I acknowledge the milestones and thank my team. So, that's how I have taken them from one thing into another, is following these steps, and that is the effective communication, the education and training, leading by example, and then celebrating the successes. Of course, when you have a huge transition, breaking it into manageable steps, the old saying, how do you eat an elephant? Well, firstly, you've got to kill the thing. And Greenpeace is not going to be happy. (laughs) But, uh, you know, how do you take on something big? You put it into bite-sized chunks. And you eat one piece at a time. And you accomplish that. Then you go to the next, the next, the next. And before you know it, like I write, my goal right now is writing one chapter a day. I wake up three in the morning and I write till nine. And hopefully in that six-hour period, I can handle that chapter. If I can't, I carry it forward into my evening. After the meeting, say I'll get done here by 9 o'clock. I'll write from 9 till 12 and then sleep from 12 till 3 and then get up and write again. But I have a goal because I'm writing so much that needs to be released. I have this time frame that's in mind. I break it into... Not the whole book into chapters, and before I even write the book, I break the chapters into sections, and then I break the sections into paragraphs. So I know exactly the content I'm putting in. I put it into bite-sized pieces, and then as I do it, it comes together. And uh, and so you can do that with bringing transition into a church put it into step one we'll do this step two we'll do this step three and you've been doing that but i give this to you as a reminder that's how i transition into new wine skins and new wine how do we accommodate what god's doing by putting those principles into practice let's not be like the jewish people coming out of egypt let's not grumble complain murmur Talk about going back, going back, going back let's move forward into what god's got for your lives as a church, as a people, as a city, as a state, as a nation, as world-changing people reaching the ends of the earth. Would you stand?